Meryl, Martin, and John. Remember those names. Those are our three guests today at the Radio Backyard Fence, Meryl, Martin, and John. On this edition of Chris Fabry Live, we are going to enter into a friendship across many miles, through many years, many dangers, toils, and snares. And my hope is that you will be encouraged by the conversation that we have straight ahead for you. Today is the first evening of the first fall edition of Founders Week at Moody Bible Institute. You can see and hear Dr. Joseph Stoll's message this evening online for the opening session. Our theme this year is Rekindled, Fanning the Flame of Our Calling. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, we have a link for you where you can watch free online. Founders Week's largest, longest-running free Bible conference in the U.S. Usually it's held in February. This year, the first-ever Fall Founders Week, tonight through Friday night. Go to chrisfabrylive.org to find out more. And we thank our team. Ryan McConaughey is doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T's in the chair today. Josie will be answering your calls. And I want to remind you, don't put it off. Don't write it on a scrap of paper and put it in a pile and lose it like I do. Call or click through today. Give a gift of any size. We'll send you Dana White's book. We talked about it last week. Organizing for the rest of us. If you are a of a person who's controlled by clutter, <laughs> you don't have to live that way. And there are a lot of people who are saying that. This is something I got to get a hold of in my life. Dana can help you because Dana's lived at the corner of clutter and overwhelmed. So go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. You can give a gift of any size there. 866-95-FABRY is our number. 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Thank you for your support to help us keep these conversations coming your way at the back fence. All right, so today's first day of Founders Week. Interesting things happen during Founders Week every year. You hear great singing. You hear great music. Congregational singing as well as those who lead. Um, Leland's going to be here Friday. Great Bible teaching, obviously. But one of the intangibles is that a rekindled relationships chance meetings sometimes with people you remember from a long time ago, and you'll see that face and say, hey, I remember you. You were in my Hebrews class, weren't you? (laughs) And if you know the old hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, it comes alive at Founders Week. Verse 1, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And the fourth verse, When we are called to part, it gives us inward pain but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. We have three gentlemen in the studio today who hope to meet again, and it has happened. You're going to hear more about their friendship through the years. But the man who has traveled the furthest here is Martin. Martin, and I forgot to ask the pronunciation of your last name. Is it Simiu? Perfect. You okay. got it very well. And and I even though that I didn't, you were very kind to me to say that. Martin Simiu is founder and CEO of Possibilities Africa. And rather than tell you about his story, I want him to give us more about his background. So, Martin, welcome to the program. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up in Africa. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, um, and glad to be on uh, Moody Radio and on your show. Um, so we walked into, uh, just before I go back to, to time in history for my life, we walked into uh, Moody uh, Bible Institute compound, and I started having memories come back. When I got here, uh, 2000, December of 2000, 
Um, and I was like, you know, this is what changed a lot of my life and, and who I am today. So it's really been very emotional for me to be here. Um, Can I say something about that? Because Merrill, Merrill sent me an email and he said, when you got here in December, you had your summer clothes with you. Is that right? <laughs> I did. I did. I, I, I had no idea, you know, what I'm coming into. And I had, I had sung a song that says, you know, Jesus washes your sins away and makes you as white as snow. But I had never seen snow, so I did not even know what that was. And I didn't know how cold it is. So... Yeah, so definitely that that is true. But not only that, Chris, I I got here and um, I had only a hundred dollars on me. I had come by faith to study, and uh, I believed that God would make make a way for me. And um, and how I got here with only a hundred dollars to study in the U.S. And Mark, you I also only had a one way ticket. I didn't have a ticket to go back to Africa, <laughs> just in case the university did not admit me. Uh, so the reason why I I came like that, just trusting God, is because of where I came from. Um, I grew up in a village uh, uh, in Kenya on the border of uh, Kenya and Uganda. Um, some people might know the dictator of Uganda, Idi Amin, many, many years ago that butchered people and killed people. And we lived right on the border, so we saw all that happen. But my village was so poor that growing up, um, I never knew what electricity was. I never knew what paved roads were. I hardly saw a car. I, I actually hardly sat in any car. I can't remember growing up. My family was poor, and uh, when we grew up, we didn't have the essentials of life. Uh, I lived in a grass-thatched house with my siblings. My parents had uh, eight children of their own and two adopted. And then my father was killed when I was uh, eight years old. And so all of us were very young when my father was murdered. And so my mom, who did not go to school, had the responsibility to take care of us and to raise us. So it was absolute uh, poverty and struggling to make ends meet every day. And that's the background I grew in. And uh, growing into that environment, I think part of my hunger and desire in my life was, will things ever get better? You know, I didn't know anything beyond what was in my village. I didn't know that there was another world out there other than my village because that is what I saw, that is what I knew, that is what I lived. And so when I finished college, uh, high school, wait, rather, wait, wait, high school. Yeah, high I finished school. high school. You were like in the top three of your high school, right? Yes, I, at least that's that's one one thing. And, and, and how that also happened, Chris, is because when mom was raising us, uh, she, she instilled three things in our lives. She said education was critical. She said uh, faith and going to church, and she didn't fully understand where these things are is critical. And then hard work was important. So those were the three things, the principles that she used to raise um, nine boys and three girls. Uh, is You have to work hard, you have to go to church, and you have to gain an education if you want to change your life. Now, this is a woman who never went to school to a higher level, never um, had, you know, her knowledge of of, of God and, and the word was very minimal, but these are the things that God put in her and those are the things that she used to raise us. So among uh, a few of our classrooms and I, I was actually number two in my classroom, I wanted to be number one. I don't know how the other guy beat 
me. But <laughs> yeah. So got the privilege to uh, to pass and to go to college, and I remember very well when the time came for me to go to the city of Nairobi to go to college. My mom did not have even. Uh, even money to give me transport, you know, to travel to the city. So I, I remember crying and telling her, Mom, I have to go to Nairobi, which is the capital city, and I need to get this education. And she sold her chicken, I remember very well, and she gave me that money. And using that chicken, I boarded a bus and went to Nairobi eight hours uh, on bus and finally got there and looked for, searched for a cousin that was already living in Nairobi. And I said to him, hey, here I am, you know, and God, God working in his own way, he opened his door, allowed me to go to, to, his, to his house and stayed there. Now, getting to the city of Nairobi, of Kenya rather, Nairobi, the city of Kenya, is when I started seeing how modern life looks like, you know, tall buildings, electricity, TV, um, and all these amenities of life that we did not have in the village. And, and just to mention, I had first worn my pair of shoes when I was going to high school at the age of 17, and my feet were cracked because we, my mom just couldn't afford anything. The only thing she could get, get to you, the children, is to give you one pair of trousers and um, not trousers actually shorts and shirt because that was required in school and that was your christmas best that was your school uniform you wash it at night when you're sleeping and then you use it in the morning that was kind of the lifestyle so i get to nairobi and i see life different and a question is in my heart why is there so much difference eight hours away from my village and so I go through the motions of junior college and I finish there. The one thing that God did when I got to Nairobi is he led me to a Bible teaching church. For the very first time, I went to this church and there was a Canadian missionary that was a pastor in this church. And I sat under the teaching of the word of God in a manner that I have never experienced before. And God just allowed the Holy Spirit to take that, that word and open up my heart and open up my mind and just kind of open me to a new reality and a possibility that I never imagined to be possible. Wow. And, and through that journey, then I felt that God was telling me, you need to, to dedicate your life. Uh, for ministry, so I went to Bible college after that. Okay, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yes, this is this is just this is a waterfall of grace over us as I'm listening to it, and and two thanks uh, things that we have to thank. Number one, thank God for that chicken because you never would have. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't Amen. eat it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, thanks, thank God for that Canadian missionary yeah. and and being able to come under the the teaching of God's word. Now, my guess is that the vision of coming to Chicago and studying at Moody Bible Institute happened right around there. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back, and then you're going to meet Meryl and John. You've just met Martin Simiu, who's founder and CEO of Possibilities Africa. You're going to hear more about that. But I want you to hear about Meryl and John and their relationship with him and the tie that binds them together. All that and more is coming up straight ahead on Moody Radio. Meryl, Martin, and John are with us today. We ought to write a song about this program. You're going to hear from Meryl and John. Martin Simiu is with us from C uh, Possibilities Africa. He's founder and CEO 
of that organization, that ministry. And you can find out more about it at chrisfabrylive.org. Click through to today's information. So we got you to into college there in Nairobi in Kenya, and we didn't get you to Moody Bible Institute, but I'm, I have a question. You had $100 with you when you came to Chicago. Did you feel like you were rich, that that, that was all that you probably would need? So I knew because I had received the documentation from the college about how much tuition was and, and all that. And so I knew I needed more money. But this was the, the much I have ever handled in my whole life. So I definitely felt richer because I had never handled that amount of money. And um, I believed, you know, with this money and with God on my side, definitely I'll get an education. So, yeah. So you had faith that God was going to take care of you. Though you didn't know, you didn't know anybody in Chicago, did you? I didn't even know where Chicago was. I had never, <laughs> I had never been on a plane before. It was my first time to be on the plane. So, uh, if 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 you came to Kenya before I got here and asked me where is America, I probably wouldn't tell you. Uh, yes. So it's really, it was really, and 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 Chris, there was just so much that happened between that that period. So first of all, going to uh, Bible College in Kenya, I should mention that I also didn't have money, and so when I went in, I went by faith, and the Canadian. And missionaries gave me work study, and I was able to work and and provide for for my tuition and everything else. And so that was a miracle there that God uh, provided for me. Uh, and and then uh, just the journey of coming here, you know, a lot of people. Uh, as you all know, want to come to America. It's a land of opportunity. And so one of the things that happens in our country is that thousands of people are applying for visa to come to America, and it's a very difficult process to do that. And and so the churches actually have prayer meetings, praying for people to get visa. And uh, I remember my time when I was applying for a visa, uh, I didn't have the much that you need to present, the financial statements and all that. You need to give us proof that you can support your life in America. And so I went there knowing, you know what, this is not going to work. (laughs) But I was like, you know, let me give it a chance and see what happens. So I go to the embassy early in the morning at 6 a.m. There are seven people ahead of me. I'm number eight. And um, the, the, the first person goes to the window. They tell him, sorry, you cannot go to America. You don't qualify. The second person, the third person, the fourth person, fifth, sixth, seventh. They reach me and I know the answer. They are going to tell me, sorry, you cannot go. And basically the lady asks me, why do you want to go to America? I say, I want to go and study. Why can't you study here? And I tell her, what I want to study is not offered here. I don't think I ever thought through those answers. They just came out of my <laughs> mind. And she said, come back at 3 o'clock and pick your visa. Wow. So, so, wow. so that, wow. that was a huge miracle. And then the challenge was, how do you go to America? And, and as I said, get $100, get a one-way ticket. And I get to Chicago, and um, I didn't know where I was going to stay. I landed on a Friday uh, afternoon. And uh, the one thing that happened was that there was a gentleman who had been to Africa as a missionary. And then he happened to be at Moody and understand that, got information that a Kenyan was coming. Mm -hmm. So he came to the airport to meet me and to find out if I needed anything. Wow. And so the man looks at me and say, hey, Martin, um, and I think the moment he saw me with my, you know, you know, tropical uh, clothing, <laughs> he just knew this guy must be the one from Africa. So he, 
Hey, Martin, uh, my name is Larry. Do you want me, do you want any help? I was at Moody. I knew you were coming, but I just wanted to know whether you need any help. And I told him, man, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> and the man tells me, come to my home over the weekend. I'll take you to school on Monday. And Monday I come to Moody and I go to register. I don't have money. And they talk, they ask, so what are we going to do with you? And I say, let me tell you, uh, one, I have $100. <laughs> Two, I came with one-way ticket. Mm. So you either find a way to get me to study or you get me a ticket to go back to Africa, <laughs> whichever is easy for you guys to work with. <laughs> this uh, is just so good. And Meryl, you wrote me, Meryl McElwain wrote me about you, Martin, and he said, you have got to hear this story but Meryl, as you're hearing this, you, you've known this for a long time. I'm hearing it for the very first time. When you first met Martin, did you think the same thing that I'm thinking right now? Here's a man who is just sold out to God who wants to do whatever he tells him to do. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. Uh, I think there were a lot of people here in yeah. that same boat. Right. That's certainly how I felt. Uh, the classmates that I knew all had the same goal. Same objective, and Martin was another one of us. Yeah, Doc Fooder, Fooder, yes, yes, yes. Uh, John Fooder. Hey, we've yeah. had you on so many different times, and and I'll, I'd say more about you, but I don't have time. I just oh, go okay, say though. when you first met this fellow, what what went through your mind? So, Chris, my first memory of Martin and Merrill was in the same class with Martin. It was a core course called the Practice of Ministry, and back in the old Moody Grad School before it became the seminary, it was required of everybody. It was a large class, or maybe 50, 60 students. And knowing Martin and his posture of humility, he was probably sitting somewhere toward the back. And during break of the first class, a student came up to me and he said, Doc, do you know Martin Simeon? I go, no, I don't. He's in our class right now. And he pointed towards him, Martin. And he said, do you know that he has, I think I have this right, Martin, hundreds of young people in his youth group mm -hmm. back in Nairobi. Yeah. And Chris, when I heard that, I, I, I remember running to you, Martin, and saying, you are a gift to us. God has sent you here. We want to learn from you. I want to better understand your calling. Mm -hmm. And it led to a whole bunch of us ending up going to Nairobi, and the rest is history. But yeah, that was my first impression. Like, I should be the, the student, and Martin should be the teacher in this class called the Practice of Ministry. That's my first memory of Martin. See, so I'm right, I got it written down. Nine boys, three girls, a chicken, a Canadian missionary, a guy <laughs> na and a guy named Larry who showed up at O'Hare. Yep. <laughs> you know, that. Oh, and, yeah. and I just want to say, let me take a little time out here. Folks, what you're hearing about Martin's life is replicated in students at Moody who have yep. wanted to come here and have done their due diligence, most of them in the contiguous United States, not, not you know, as far away in, as Africa, but some who are, uh, and many who are enrolled now who are coming from great distances. Mm -hmm. But that same heart, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Right. I, I don't want to follow my own path, but I know that I need more from you and your word. So I just want to say that to you as you listen to Founders Week, or you hear about Moody Bible Institute, that's the kind of young person who's looking for more training. Mm -hmm. So Martin, when you enrolled, and this is in the, in the graduate school, you already had degrees. What were you trying to learn here? So 
initially when I came to uh, Moody Bible Institute, I wanted to do Master of Divinity, uh, MD, and my desire was from there I'll go on and uh, do a PhD and uh, probably become a big professor like Dr. Fuda <laughs> and, and change the world that way. Uh, but when I got to America, the same question, the same thought, the same pain in my heart that happened when I left my village to go to the city of Nairobi mm -hmm. happened in my heart again, you know. Mm -hmm. Why why are we in the situation we are in in Africa and why is America such a different, you know, uh, developed and not just developed materially, but even just being at Moody and getting the word and the training. Uh, that that question, you know, was in my heart. It was eating me up. Why is there such a, a difference, a disparity? What are we not doing right in Africa, in my village? And so... In the first semester, I struggled with that question when I was in classrooms and meeting and listening to lecturers, and I really struggled, and I started seeking for counsel and for prayer. And I remember one day uh, I talked to uh, Dr. Hopkins. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the dean of graduate school at that time. Mm -hmm. And I went to him and I said, you know, I have signed up for MDiv, but my passion is for my people in the village back in, in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And we talked for a while and he told me, I think you need to change and go to a Master of Intercultural Studies mm -hmm. because that will be more relevant for you as you think about being a missionary back to, to your people. So I changed my track and, and then that contributed to the idea of I need to gain every education I can gain here and then use it to go back to make a difference uh, for my people in, in my villages. And, and then, of course, Dr. Fuda has mentioned about the graduate school making a mission trip to Africa. The opportunity arose and we had, you know, a Moody graduate school wants to take people for missions. And me and my friend uh, went to, to Dr. Newell and Dr. Fuda and we said, why not Africa? Yes. Can we go to Africa? Yes. And they, they accepted and we were, we were mesmerized that they accepted. And so we planned, we went to Africa, Mero was on that trip, and, and that kind of is what started my connection with Mero. Uh, initially, I was actually thinking Mero is our, one of our professors. I didn't know him very well, but he, he looked, he looked uh, uh, you know, like a professor. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, he's got that, he's got yeah, that he's lawyer got that look. Great yeah, hair. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and so just for those of you who don't know, Merrill uh, graduated from U U.S. Air Force Academy and Vanderbilt School of Law, practiced law for 25 years, enrolled at Moody Theological Seminary, earned a master's degree in 2004, mm -hmm. then went to focus on family, was director of their legal department. So he's got a lot of, you know, adjunct professor of world religion at a community college in South Carolina, been married for 50 years to Sherry Lynn. Right, Merrill? Right, that that's right. right. Okay. Every bit. So, so you, you've you had this swath of ministry, but when you, I, I'm sensing, when you met Martin, he kind of changed your life. He he did something to you, didn't he? Well, it's no doubt about that. We, uh, I had never been on a mission trip. I had always wanted to go, but as a lawyer, you know, I felt too busy. And so with this opportunity here at Moody, it seemed perfect. I thought I need to leave these spaces in the mission trip for younger students. <laughs> so I went up to Dr. Feuder and said, I think I'm too old to go. <laughs> I didn't really want to go to Africa. But, you know, it's one of those situations. Dr. Feuder says, you're just who we're looking for. Yes, <laughs> and yes, so yes. signed up for the trip. And uh, that's when Martin and I really got to know each other and began to work together. 
and we were sitting outside of the mission um, home. Guest we were, house, yeah. Guest house we were staying in. Yeah. And uh, he came up and we started talking about what the situation we'd seen and was there anything that could be done about it, and if so, what. And so we talked about it, and then uh, we said, let's go in and tell the others. Mm-hmm. And so we went in. Everyone started praying about it, mm-hmm. continued when we got back here, and then we had m- numerous meetings, and it took a while, but we, we started a, a ministry called Possibilities Africa. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean to you, Meryl? What does Possibilities Africa do? Well, it is different than most ministries in that we don't uh, – provide things directly to people. Instead, we uh, encourage them and uh, give them the means through which they can uh, change their life. But it's not so much what we give them, it's how we change them to see they can provide for themselves. Yes. So not, not, and not even, you sent me a file, not even the teach a person to fish, that analogy kind of breaks down too. I want to get into that because here's what I've seen through the years with different guests that we've had, and that is the wound of your life, the struggle that you've had, particularly early on, becomes a place where the great need of the world meets the great love of God. Mm, that's and that's what I see in Martin's life, yes. that this wound that you had very early on that you've detailed for us so far, Martin, that that is the place that you wanted to, that God wanted you to go. So we'll take a time out right here. We'll come back. We'll hear more from Merrill, Martin, and John. And if you have a question or a comment, here's our number, 877-548-3675. But I I really want to get into the tip of the spear of that wound and what possibilities Africa is doing that is different than other organizations that you hear about, good organizations, but that it's really different. We'll talk about that and more straight ahead here on Moody Radio. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. Imagine this scenario. You get news that you're pregnant and you didn't expect to be and you don't know what to do, but there's a lot of pressure to end the pregnancy, to take care of, quote unquote, to have an abortion. That scenario is why CareNet staffs a national pregnancy decision line. Every day there are pregnancy decision coaches that give immediate life-affirming counsel and pregnancy center referrals to women and men who are considering abortion. It's just one of the things that CareNet does that you might not have heard about. They call it pro-abundant life for a reason. You can find out why by going to chrisfabrylive.org. Click the green CareNet button. Today we got a green button for everything, and CareNet's one of them. You can sign the pledge there at the CareNet website against the National Abortion Hotline. Click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. Merrill, Martin, and John are with us today. Dr. John Feuder serves as the Director of Faith Community Mobilization for Together Chicago. He leads Chicagoland United in Prayer Movement. We talked about some of the books that he's written, Heart for the City, Heart for the Community, Neighborhood Mapping. I mentioned Merrill McElwain graduated from the U.S. Air Force Academy, and he has served as a director of Possibilities Africa, 
since its inception in 2004. And Martin Simiu is the founder and CEO of Possibilities Africa, joining us today, all three in the studio, because today's the first day of Founders Week. So, Martin, let me come back to you. That question about the wound, what I have seen is that a lot of people, whatever has happened to them early in their life, and one of the things that happened to you was your father was murdered. That could have been something. But you grew up in pretty much abject poverty, and that question has followed you. Why is my village like this? Why is Nairobi? Why is Kenya? Why is Chicago like this? What's the deal? So God has used that question in your life through the years, right? Absolutely. Uh, and and so it got, takes me back to the three things I said my mom emphasized. So we grew up in a village with a lot of people that are poor, a lot of people that have similar circumstances like my family and some of them even worse. And I go back to villages today and I find similar and same conditions. So I always ask, why was our case different? And, and I believe it is because of the things that my mom believed and emphasized. Faith, education, hard work. And, and, and I think that uh, as I went through the journey of life, asking questions and getting education and seeking God and saying, what can we do about the situation in our villages? I think those questions that my mom, that, that spring from the things that my mom taught us and emphasized, those questions were the pillars that gave me direction. They were the beacons that gave me direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started seeing God's word in, in those things in the light of God's word. And, and I think, Chris, the issue for me as I do what we do in Africa and as we have, by the grace of God, shaped what possibilities Africa is today has been about the philosophy of life of our people. Mm. If the people have a wrong philosophy, their life will be wrong. And if the people get the philosophy right, then their life is going to be uh, right. And what I mean here is that... Um, it is critical that people determine and decide how how do they build their lives, on which foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think for our small family, though we were struggling and facing so much challenges, my mom did not focus on the fact that one day we missed a meal or one day we did not have our shoes or one day we did not were not able to go to hospital. She focused on giving us a philosophy of life. Mm-hmm. And that philosophy of life was built on three things. You need to work hard. You need to have faith in God. You need to have an education. And that has informed the journey of designing Possibilities Africa, that our main important thing is to give a people a philosophy of life. Mm. And if you know anything about Africa for the longest time, it has been about charity, Mm. you know. What can we give to Africans? They are suffering. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot do this for themselves. So let's do it for them. Mm. But that hasn't worked for centuries, for, for, for millennia. It hasn't worked. Uh, it has relieved some pain. It has solved some problems. But you go back to the communities and the same issues that were there many years ago are still the same issues. So what Possibilities Africa then believes is that we need to change the philosophy of life of our people. And we need to give them a biblical, a Christian philosophy to life. Number one, that God and his truth must be at the center of everything that we do. And then number two, that if you want to change anything, if you want to improve your life, it's about work. You have to take responsibility. You have to work at it. If you sit and wait for others to work and then take care of you, that is not going to bring change. 
you are only going to nurture a what i call generational poverty mm-hmm. that 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 and this is what families in africa have passed on is the mother depended on someone else and the children grew up knowing my mom waits for charity and so they also started waiting for charity and becomes the culture and the life so you have to teach people to take responsibility to work hard and to be productive and then so lastly the, education so, um, helps to that to that case as well So then those of us who give and at a good hearts because we see the need, you know, if you don't have food, uh, it's very hard to have a philosophy of life when you, you're not able to live. So you want to give the relief and the help. But you're saying that just a handout is is exacerbating that problem, is make the problem worse for the next generation, right? Yes, and – if i found a family that hasn't eaten today i probably want to feed them but the problem is stopping there and and that has been the problem is that most people that want to help and they are very well intended is they give you relief for the day and they stop there i think the imagination that we're creating in communities in africa is what will happen tomorrow when the person who fed you today is not available to feed you mm-hmm. you referenced something that probably uh, mero has said but this is a common saying that people say you know uh, don't give someone fish teach them how to fish we try to tell people if we teach you how to fish especially if you are an african you're going to fish all the fish out of the the the, the, <laughs> the, pond. the pond so we want you to learn how to be a steward of god's resources mm-hmm. and that stewardship means that you're taking care of it so we want to to help our african people and our villages to start realizing it is not just about today but it is about today and then my children and then my children's children and then the generations to come which then gives you a philosophy of life that is not just looking at have i eaten today but what am i doing to change the circumstances of my environment so the the answer then to some of the problems doc you jump in here is not just give more money to this area of the country or the world or whatever is going on over there it's a It almost sounds like what Martin is talking about is it's a mindset change, a, a worldview change. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. And I, I keep taking my glasses off, wiping my eyes from tears because I'm so proud of Martin. And um, uh, the privilege of being in country many times over the years with Martin and hearing him articulate that, Chris, to pastors, leaders, that some walk for hours and hours to get to the training that he does in the villages – and to hear him unpack that and to see them get it and to see the way possibilities Africa has scaled into many African countries is an absolute delight to me and and a unique niche that God has put in Martin to to bring back to his people to his country and it and it's growing it's working it's taking root and expanding i love it which takes us to eva in indiana has been on the line eva tell me what your question is today for martin and the guys yeah i'm just curious um for myself is it better to go on a mission trip to africa or is it better to use that money in some other way to help people in africa great question martin what do you think I think both are important. I think that if you make mission trips a profession, like you do it like every time, then it probably starts being counterproductive. But if you do mission trips so that you can learn, 
so that you can be part of it, so that you can be more enlightened. I think that's a good thing. So I think you can't rule out both, but I think uh, where I have a problem sometimes is if the mission trips are designed to go and fix people's problems, mm -hmm. that, that then starts uh, becoming a bit dangerous. But yeah, you know, I think uh, that is just the natural proclivity of Westerners. We, want, we see something. We want to fix it. We really want to help. I mean, the heart is in the right place. But then we, what we do actually precludes the Africans from helping themselves. And that's where I think the mistake comes in. We want to give. We do give. But then it keeps them from recognizing just what Martin explained. If, yeah. if time allows, Chris, I could probably give an illustration here quickly. Please do. Um, so we had a mission trip that came. I think Mero was on that group that came. Um, I believe it was around 2009 or, tw or 2010. And, and when they came over, we went to this community where uh, a nonprofit organization had done water wells for them, boreholes for them. And so they had boreholes. But then those boreholes had broken down, eight of them, because there was a small rubber ring that was, um, you know, it has broken. And the community was sitting there and saying, we are waiting for the people who did the boreholes to come and fix them. So the women don't have water. They walk for uh, long hours to go to um, a river somewhere and try to get water. And so we started talking to them about it. And they said, no, this is not, these are not our boreholes. This organization did it, went away. They have never come to fix it. So the mission trip that came in trained a few men on how to repair the boreholes. Now, until today, I go to this community so many times, that community has a committee that is responsible of collecting small money from people and repairing their own boreholes. They are not waiting for a mission group to come and do that. Nice. And, and that's kind of just changing how people think. Yes. Yeah. Well, see, and I would go to YouTube and figure out <laughs> how to fix that rubber ring, you know, and use, yeah. use something else. But you're right. It's changing the mindset. And then what you're doing is not only are you, you giving them hope like your mother gave you, you're kind of setting them free and showing them how and giving them pride in what they can do rather than you have to wait for something. Okay, we'll take our final break. We'll come back with Meryl, Martin, and John. If you want to find out more about Possibilities Africa, we have a link. Just click through today's information and you'll see our guests and more about Possibilities Africa at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Meryl, Martin, and John with us today. We're talking about Martin and Possibilities Africa, and Meryl and John have kind of come along for the ride to help us here. If you want to find out more about Possibilities Africa and Martin Simiou, go to chrisfabrylive.org. A chicken, a Canadian missionary, Larry, and now boreholes. I've got, I got handles for everything that we've talked about. So can you, uh, and Doc Feuder's wife came in and said, you got to tell this story. So why don't you tell us this story to kind of uh, show exactly what it is that you're talking about that Possibilities Africa does? Yeah, so um, I probably let me just kind of give a broader uh, perspective and then maybe narrow down to the story of, of the chickens and, and the goats and all that. So uh, Possibilities Africa, 
uh, tries to teach people in our context to understand that a human being is is a complex human being. But if you're going to help him and change him, you need to address the total person. Because if you deal with one area of poverty, then you're going to you're going to keep going around in circles because one area of poverty will affect the other areas of, of life. So we say man is made up of a mental, is a mental being, is spiritual being, is a physical being, is a social being, environmental being. So you need to pay attention to all those things. Now, in the context of the Christian community in Africa, is a lot of our teaching and ministry focus on um, help people go to heaven, help people become believers, and when they are born again, even if life is difficult here on earth, even if they are suffering, their hope is when they die and go to heaven. So you find a lot of ministers of the gospel, you find a lot of Christians who celebrate and live in poverty because they say, blessed are the poor, mm-hmm. for they shall you know, see God or inherit the kingdom of God or all that. And, and that has uh, uh, contributed significantly to uh, the philosophy that keeps people where they are. So in our changing that philosophy, we help them understand that the Word of God speaks to us in, in our mental development, our spiritual development, our physical and material development, and our social development. How are we raising our families, you know, socially speaking? If you neglect your family as a husband, as a father, you're not there for your children, for your wife. How do they grow up and have a different life? You need to be there. So you need to, be, to, to use the word of God to build your family, uh, to build yourself socially, and, and, and all those areas. So the physical needs of man include the material needs, economic needs, financial needs. And, and, and most of these communities where we work in, people are so poor, you want to start helping them at a very basic level that they can manage and handle. And that is where the issues of chicken and goats and cows come in. Because what we try to do then is we are not giving you things, we are not giving you chicken, we are not giving you cows, we are not giving you goats, but we want to set you up in a system within the community where through micro um, saving, microfinance, you can actually save money and borrow money from within that group and use that money to buy chicken, to buy goats, to buy different things that can be able to build you up economically so that then you can keep rising up uh, as, as you grow. As I speak right now, just this week, my team in Kenya have gone to a community called Malindi, which is on the Indian Ocean. And basically what they are doing in that community is they are helping set up what we call a model farm. And on this model farm, we are teaching people to say, you need to keep a few chicken, you need to keep a few goats, you need to have a small vegetable garden, and and anything else that you can do that provides multiple sources of income to a poor family. That way, if a chicken dies, you have a goat. You know, if if vegetables are working, you know, you can feed your family and then you can sell anything that is surplus, you know, to buy soap or to get any other issues that you're doing. So we're doing that. And and I think Nelly was talking about that because she's been involved in uh, uh, praying for us and supporting us to help families to be to be thinking in that and to acquire some of those things for their development. Okay, just a couple of minutes left. And I want everybody to go to the website and find out more about possibiliesafrica.org. Um, how has God, Merrill, how has God answered your prayers for Martin through the years? <laughs> well, uh, he's just one of the most godly, hardworking, dedicated, honest persons I've ever met in my life. I would trust him with anything 
uh, we need in Africa, he will do. And it is, it's a blessing in every way to work with him. And I thank God for it every day. Yeah. Amen. Doc Feeder, what about you? Yeah, How does God that. answer those prayers? I would say Martin has exceeded his teachers, his professors, of what we poured into him. He's taken it to incredible levels. I would say to your sacrifice, Martin, as I look at you, your selflessness and your perseverance for what is now, I, I guess, about 20 years, right, guys, yeah. for PA. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, it, one of Moody's finest, and I say that humbly, respectfully, Martin, and I love you, and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> this is what, this is what I love about about Founders Week. As I say, blessed be the tie that binds. Amen. It's almost like we're going to uh, put a hand, lay hands on him, and commission him again. Let's do it. Um, so, Martin, you've got two minutes left. What do you want to say to people in uh, in the United States? So, a number of years ago, I came here as a student, and this country uh, gave me something that has helped me to to be of value to my villages, to my continent. And what they gave me is um, deeper, going deeper in the Word of God. Moody Bible Institute uh, did that for me. I think the amazing teachings and, and, and interaction with our faculty uh, just planted that seed in my life. And without the Word of God, we really can't be doing what we are doing. But then the friendships also that God opened and created that allows me to come here even at a time like this, Mero and and, and Dr. Fuda and Dak and others who are friends in this program uh, of Possibilities Africa. So America has done so much, not just for for, for me, for Possibilities Africa, for, for the world. Uh, but at, at the heart of that, it is the word that is taught at Moody Bible Institute and other Christian colleges that can transform lives. And that is what we are doing in Africa as we reach our villages. Mm. Martin, uh, my guess is there are other Martins that you know of who need that same kind of encouragement that you had about, you know, 20 years ago who are ready to to step in and do the things that you have been doing and the vision that you have been casting. And so we pray for them, but we also are just so grateful to God. I'm thankful for Meryl and John to come alongside you to tell me, hey, Chris, you need to have this guy because there are people listening right now who say, that's it. That's that's what I want for my life right here in the U.S. You know, I've kind of waited for other people to feed me and give me this so that I can do it. But, but God has given me the ability, so I want to step up on that. And so thanks for leading the way. Thanks for believing in God 20 years ago and stepping out on faith and for joining us here today. God bless you, friend. Thank you, Chris. God bless you, Chris. Martin, see you again. You can go to chrisfabrylive.org. We've got a link to Possibilities Africa. I think it's usa.possibilitiesafrica.org. But we have the link right there. And thanks to Merrill and to John for joining us here at the Back Fence. And thank you, friend, for coming along. I hope this was an encouragement to your heart and soul. Come on back tomorrow for another Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm.